Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode nine. We are going to talk a lot about training today because that's what we do on Drew and Sam Talk Training. We talk training specifically, though, been all kinds of things on the message boards about staffing, staffing, and then there was some more about staffing. And hey, we are Sam. going to dive into that deeply. Yes, sir. I've seen some stuff on the boards around staffing. You know, there's been a thing or two about staffing. And I think that today's episode of Drew and Sam Talk Training, we probably ought to talk about staffing. Are you up for that? So, are you saying we should talk about staffing? I'm saying we, you and I, Drew and Sam, should talk about, wait for it, staffing. Ooh, that's an interesting concept. Let's jump into it. But before we get into talking about staffing, let's have Johnny sing us a little song. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Hey, Sam, where you been? I spent a great deal of time in Centralia, Illinois, working with Lance and the crew down there. Chase, the manager, doing a, a great job. Had some significant nights in sales. Oh my gosh, they're just selling so much pizza there. It is unbelievable to me. We're getting those stores ready for the next round of great things to come. Put a lot of new processes in place. Uh, we've been talking a lot about processes and you do a great job of talking about process when you're talking to supervisors. So putting a lot of processes in, hired a bunch of new people, getting some people started, making sure those first First few days are very exciting for them, hoping that that's going to help them with their retention, which eventually will help them with, hang on, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, help me out if you can. It starts with an S, I think. Staffing. That retention is going to help them with staffing. So that should be amazing. Always fun to go down and see Lance and the gang in Centralia, Illinois. How about you, Drew? Where, where have you been? Well, let's see, Sam. I've put about 2,000 miles on my truck in the last two weeks, driving around the lovely state of Ohio and a small piece of Kentucky, helping Chris shorten his team, get ready to relaunch the Learning Hub and work with his supervisors last week and Tristan Kohler's brand new supervisor, Donnie, on how to be more effective and efficient in their roles. It was a uh, fun class. It's not only were there four of us cruising around the fabulous city of Dayton, but I was also helping and starting to onboard a new consultant for my organization because, well, I got to teach more people faster and there's only one of me. So soon there'll be two. Wow. That's exciting news. So better than yesterday, consulting will officially be twice the size of Fowser Consulting. Let's jump into it and talk training. So staffing, you think that's a good topic to approach today? No, actually I don't. That kind of makes our whole intro not great. Where are you going with that? Well, all right. So I'm, I'm going to get a little deep for a second here. So just just hold on. I'm going to start with an analogy. As I'm cruising around, I hear folks like, like I'm having service issues or I'm having staffing issues. Let's stop for a second. Service and staffing, they're both outcomes, right? When you have a service issue, it's because something else is broken. I'm not scheduling correctly. I'm not loading fast enough. I've got too much wait time. When I have a staffing issue, staffing isn't my problem. There's no such thing as actual staffing. 
There's all the components and processes that build the outcome of staffing, scheduling correctly, hiring correctly, active or passive recruiting. So Sam, I don't want to talk about staffing. I want to talk about all of the processes that create the outcome of being a well-staffed store. It sounds like we're onto a little bit of a bait and switch here. We told them we we're going to talk about staffing, which is what everybody is talking about on the message boards and everything I hear from my clients. But what I hear you saying is that we need to stop talking about the outcomes and we need to take a deep look at the process, identify the root cause of our outcomes that are not as desirable as we wish and start making some changes. I would even go one step further, Sam. We talked about Atomic Habits in the last book, and it starts with the identity. And if your identity right now is that you're a GM that can't staff your store, you're a supervisor that can't staff your management, if that's your identity, your outcome is going to be that. That whole can't piece, the start with your attitude. Who are you? And if you're a GM that believes that you always have a staff store and you're hitting a speed bump right now, then we can talk process to get you to the outcome you want. I think I'm going to take your one step further and raise you one step further. Well, no, that's two steps further, Sam. I guess that would be all in, wouldn't it? Holy cow. Let's take it all the way back to when we talked about the energy bus. Are you driving your bus? Do you have an attitude that's worth catching? Or gosh darn it, do you need a checkup from the neck up? Are you having a bad case of stinking thinking? Because if you are, maybe that's the reason why you can't hire management. If you're constantly talking about how bad your job is and how many hours you have to work and how nobody is worth their weight anymore, then why in the world would I want to sign up for your job? Sam, I'm going to take it one step further. Sometimes it's not what we say. Sometimes it's just the way we look. I saw a fabulous coaster and it said, I am not responsible for the look on my face. And I started to laugh at it because it was it was a personal joke between me and this other person. But But let's stop for a second. How many of us have been at work and we're at the end of that 14 hour shift and we're saying the right things, we're telling them good job, but the energy level behind that good job is so low or so fake that our team, our family all know that it's not real. You know, it's amazing that you say that, Drew, because we've got a listener and he's going to know exactly who I'm talking about as soon as I tell this story. I was in a store early in the morning helping out with a large pizza order and the manager came into the store and you could tell just by looking at him that he'd been working a lot of hours and that getting up early to make this particular order was not necessarily his favorite part of the day. And as soon as I saw him, I called him by name and I said, hey, let's go outside for just a second. Big smile on my face. And I took him outside to where the crew couldn't see us. And I said, listen, I know you've been working a lot of hours. You've been working more than you should. You've been working more than any manager should. And I get that and I appreciate it. But I said to him, as soon as you walk through that door, nobody can see that. Nobody needs to see that. You need to do whatever it is you need to do before you walk into the store to be the leader that they need you to be. And I think looking back at one of the other books that we read, the Brendan Bouchard book, he had a line in there that I've turned into a poster and I'm going to be using it at some of my workshops. He said that before he goes in to do anything, he wants to, one, release tension, and two, set intention. So release tension and set intention. So if you're tired, if you're overworked, and you're about to go into the store, you've somehow got to release that, and you've got to set the intention 
of the leader that you want to be. You're driving the bus. Make sure that bus is going where you want it to go. So people will want a ticket to your bus, get on the bus and go to the destination. And what I hear you saying is that before we can even really talk about staffing or we rank anything, we've got to check our attitude and see if we're in the right mindset. That positive atmosphere, that positive attitude, as Todd Stottlemyer said in his book, The Observer, it's that power hour, right? In the book, he's talking about your first hour of the day when you first wake up. But the same thing applies to showing up at work, right? How you how you walk into that door. I mean, we've talked for years about leaving your baggage outside, but how do you actually do that? That's a great one, Sam, of release the tension and find the intention. I like that. Yeah, it's so important. And I think it goes with everything when it comes to that outcome of staffing that you're looking for. You've got to make sure that your process starts with you in the right mindset. You know, take a deep look in the mirror. Are you somebody you would want to work for? And if the answer is no, then change that. You know, you don't have control over your emotions, but you do have control over your outward appearance and how you are portraying yourself to your team and how you're coming off your team. Your emotions are just going to happen and they're real and they're raw. What great leaders do is they've got this tremendously strong filter between their emotions and between what comes on their face through their body language, through their tone of voice and the words that they choose. And once you can make sure that that filter is installed and you're using it, that outcome of staffing that we're talking about today is going to start to change. And it really is. And for those of you that are saying, you don't understand my area, we don't get any applications, we don't get this, we don't get that. Stores across the country, for the most part, are pretty much the same. And there are folks out there knocking it out of the park with their positive outcome of great staffing. And there's folks that are struggling that are minutes away from those stores. So you're special, but your store is not all that special. I believe the phrase I use, Sam, is every store is different and every store is the same. Sure, you might be in the middle of a rural area and there's not that many people to choose from, but people in those rural areas need jobs. And if your job is great and you become what we used to love to say in the World Resource Center, an employer of choice, then you're going to find that you'll be staffed and you'll have that positive outcome of great staffing when others in the same town do not. I had an acquaintance on LinkedIn. He actually went to school with one of my kids and he's in college now and he listens to the podcast and he messaged me about this same kind of thing. And so he was asking me about young leaders and said he had a similar experience in McDonald's where he worked that it was inexperienced people and they weren't really leaders. And how could you staff those kind of stores? I explained to him my value proposition. And in marketing, there's a value proposition that it's price plus convenience equals value. And it's why the belief is that if you deliver quickly, you can probably charge more for your pizza because you're delivering a convenience. The convenience increases and you can make the value increase. Employing a team is the same. It's not just what you pay. It's the enjoyment of the team. Now, I don't mean fun. I don't mean there needs to be party poppers and balloons all the time, but I have to have some enjoyment. It might have to be a mentally stimulating job. I might, there's some, there's going to be some whiff on that what's in it for me in that job. And if your pay is low, then the fun, that enjoyment's got to be high. And if that enjoyment is low, then the pay has got to be high. In classes, Sam, I use the example of a local Amazon warehouse here in Michigan. When they started like maybe uh, 18 months ago, they were starting at like 15 bucks an hour. 
flooded by mm-hmm. applicants. And then people realized, holy cow, this job stinks. I'm on my feet for eight hours, standing in a station, reaching and grabbing. Tell me if this sounds familiar, reaching and grabbing for eight straight hours, not really allowed to move from my station. It sucks. It hurts. I don't want to do this. Last month, that same factory was hiring for the same role at $35 an hour because there's no enjoyment in the job. There's tons of enjoyment in this job. If you as the leader want there to be. Boy, there sure can be. I feel like we're beating a dead horse. You know, gang, if you're not enjoying your job, or at least acting like it, then no one around you is going to enjoy their job. If you're not enjoying your job, you got to start acting like you are. Because if you act like you're enjoying your job now, then the people around you are going to get on your bus and your bus is going to start heading in the right direction. And then you'll no longer have to act like you're enjoying your job because you will be enjoying your job. But here's a dirty little secret about leadership that you need to know. It starts with you and it will end with you. So whatever your desired outcome in the process of staffing is, whatever you want to happen, you've got to start the bus rolling. You can't wait for the next magical employee to walk through the door and change your attitude. You've got to change your attitude first. And then you've got to make sure that you're continually doing that and that you're consistent. And then you're going to find that over the course of time, your team is going to start to act different and the job is going to start to become fun and people are going to start to stay. And you're not going to need to hire as many new people because people are staying around longer. It starts with you. You've got to understand that. Sam, can I make a sport ball analogy? I know you love to. Let's do it. So the NFL draft is going on. And for those of you that don't know me well, I am the second worst kind of fan for the NFL. I'm a Jets fan. I'm a Jets fan. I'm going to jump in there right now. If you keep saying second worst because my Lions are worse, we're going to rumble. Oh, that's totally. That's totally it. Hard to argue with you when you're right. This offseason, the New York Jets had literally $80 million to spend on free agents. They could bring in anybody they wanted to to help them quickly win. And no one wanted to go there. These are professional football players who are literally the Jets are calling them saying, would you like $15 million a year or $20 million a year? And they're like, nah, brah, we'll take and down here because we'll win. If that's how the NFL players think when it comes to millions of dollars, don't you think your neighbor thinks the same way? And if it's no fun in your store, man, I know it the second I walk in. Your supervisor knows it the second they walk in. You know it the second you walk in. Find a way to make it fun. Find a way to bring the energy level up. Get people talking. Play some music. Get get the energy going on your energy bus. So are you saying that you can't buy talent in the QSR industry? Are you saying that going through your town and finding out who's paying the most and raising that by 25 cents an hour or 50 cents an hour isn't going to get you people in the door? Oh, no, it'll totally get you people in the door. But if you're still having a fun environment, they're going to leave. It's still not worth it. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what I've been saying a lot. I've, I've got guys where I'm doing retention workshops and trying to get them a better outcome of staffing and helping them with their process. And they say, Sam, we're not paying enough. And I tell them and I've challenged them and nobody has taken me up on the challenge yet. I said, I want you to go find me the highest paid place in town. And then I want you to go in there and ask them what their retention rate is, what their turnover rate is. And I'm willing to bet you that it's the highest turnover rate in town. 
and that they're trying to buy their team and they're getting great applicant flow and they're hiring lots and lots of people and yet they can't keep anyone. The answer is not higher wages. You've got to be a player. You've got to be somewhere that's reasonable. You can't be the lowest and being the highest is only going to raise your labor and raise your stress because you're constantly going to be training new people. You've got to be, as Drew said, a great place to work. So let's talk more about that great place to work and and what that means. Drew, do you think that means that I don't set expectations and I just let people come and go as they please? You know, if they're just a little bit out of uniform, I let that slide. Or if the pizza doesn't quite meet all of the five elements, you know, rim, size, portion, placement, bake, do I let it slide because I don't want to hurt their feelings because they could quit? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I have to do. I don't want to make anybody mad. They'll just leave the lower standards and I won't set any I'm whispering because this is all wrong. Oh my gosh. Don't do that. Tell them right away what their job is. Tell them right away what the expectation is. Put them right next to somebody who that person can say, this is exactly what I do. I hear every, almost every class when I'm in stores with supervisors and somebody says service is the problem. Uh, We already talked about that. That service isn't a problem. There's some other process. They'll usually get to a place where aces in their places, aces in their places. I can't begin to tell you, Sam, how much I now hate the phrase aces in their places. I've probably said this three times on this podcast. So I'm just going to say it again because it just keeps coming up. Aces in their places means you have some kind of chart that shows every play, every position and ranks every person in your store. So you know who the best is at literally everything in the store. If you don't have that, you're not doing aces in their places. You're doing a position chart. Sam, tonight, I would like you to start on dough. And if there's nothing to make, I would like you to go to make line. If there's nothing to top, I would like you to go to phones. If there's no phones ringing, I need you to prep for tomorrow. Priority list. Set their expectations. Tell people exactly what they're doing for their shift. It doesn't need to be an eighth in their places. It just needs to be, this is your job. And if there's nothing happening here, then go to place B. And if there's nothing happening in place B, then do this thing. But so that the store can be more prepared after you leave. And once you've done that and there's no work in A and B, I'm going to send you home for the night. I think what I hear you saying is you're not a fan of the phrase aces in places unless there's a process behind it, such as a position chart with primary responsibilities and secondary responsibilities. Completely correct. And my experience with that has been very similar. I like to let people know the moment they walk in the door, I walk them to the position chart and I say, this is your primary responsibility tonight. And these are your secondary responsibilities. And my experience has been that when you do that, it immediately puts a sense of responsibility and pride in that person because they know what their job is. When I was a wee young lad at the tender age of 14, I was shooting baskets with my neighbor. 65 years ago. It was only 39 years ago. Thank you very much. I'm shooting uh, baskets with my neighbor, Pat. And Pat was a couple of years older than I was. And he had a job and he was working at McDonald's. And he had this normal sense of confidence about him. But on this particular day, he had he had a glow and he had just come home from working at McDonald's. You know, he's hitting every basket that he was shooting and he was just running around and he was kicking my tail playing horse. And I'm like, dude, what has gotten into you? He said, I had a great day at work. I said, you work at McDonald's, man. How great could it be? Now, I didn't actually just work at McDonald's today. Today, I was the fry guy. The moment I walked in, they told me the fries were my station 
and that it was my responsibility to make sure that no order ran out of fries. And he said, you know what happened today at work? Not one order waited for fries because I was the fry guy. Imagine on your position chart, if you had, you know, if you're a store that's not on cutting edge yet, and you've got a label guy, or you've got a drive through window, and you've got a drive through window guy or gal, and you've got a primary person to answer the phones and a secondary person to answer the phone, and you don't have to be standing at the cut table yelling at the team member that every store has, and that team member is someone. Can someone get the phone? Can someone get the drive through? Can anyone do this? People have got primary and secondary responsibilities. So when someone comes to the drive through window, you can say, Joe, drive through. That's your responsibility. And you may have to say that the first couple of times. But as the shift wears on, Joe is going to realize that the position chart was for real and that you're going to hold him accountable to that. And as long as you give him some positive feedback throughout the day, and maybe at the end of the shift, say, hey, drive through went really good today. That's because of you. Maybe they'll start to get this sense of accomplishment, sense of responsibility, sense of duty, and want to do the job well. People ask us all the time, and I'm sure you hear this too, Drew. How do you get people to care about what they're doing? Well, you have to cultivate that. You have to give them a sense of pride in what they're doing. And you do that by setting full-fledged expectations like we learned about in the book Squawk. And you give them communication that clicks and you've got pause on performance, helping them out when they need it. And at the end of the shift, for goodness sake, let them know that they did a good job if they did and do some coaching where they've got opportunities to improve. That's how people gain a sense of pride in what they're doing. And it's not going to happen 10 minutes after you listen to the podcast because you start doing it. It's going to happen 10 weeks or 10 months down the road after you change your behaviors and you start to implement these things and become the leader that will make you the employer of choice in your market. Well, somebody listening is going, I don't need to tell my CSR where to go. They've been doing this for two years. I don't need to tell my AM where to go. We've worked together for 18 months. I'm going to give you another sport ball analogy. This isn't about the uh, Timberwolves locker room, is it? It completely is. That was a great story, man. Remind the listeners what you learned. I mean, Sam, if you're a million dollar employee and there's five positions you can be on the basketball court, Sam, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. And yet these guys are million dollar employees, million dollar employees who play 80 something games a year, preseason, postseason, and every game the coach has to list who plays where. And I'm just guessing your CSR who's 17 and this is their first job and they've been working for six months needs to be told where to go and wants to be told where to go. You know, let's build on that for a minute because I would say that people that you know, aren't sports ball centric would say, how in the world does a multi-million dollar professional athlete not know what their position is? If we equate that to the stores, how many times has it happened where you see in a store, the manager will call for a remake and then the whole store just stops and everybody wants to know what's going on. If my primary responsibility isn't making the pizzas and I hear the manager call for a remake, I can let that go in one ear and out the other. And then when the phone rings, I can jump on it. But if somebody hasn't defined to me what my primary responsibility is, and I hear something that I think needs to be taken care of, then as a human being, I'm going to want to be a part of that solution. I'm going to want to take part in making sure that that gets done. So instead of having 
the people that are primarily responsible for making the pizzas in on that communication and making it happen, the whole store seems to come to a stop for a moment while together as a team, we solve this problem that really didn't need the entire team to do it. And when you look at those five players on the basketball team, if one of them doesn't know who's inbounding the ball, we could have four people out of bounds asking for the ball from the referee. And I think it's imperative that our teams inside the store know what their primary responsibilities are. And it's your responsibility as the leader to make sure that each and every person on the team knows what their primary responsibility is so that you can get the positive outcomes of better service and the positive outcomes of staffing. People want to work on a team. People want to be part of a team. People want to work where the team is functioning high. They don't want to go to the New York Jets. They don't want to go to the Detroit Lions. They want to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England Patriots of the world where they're high-level, high-functioning teams. With good leaders. That's where you got to get to. That's how you're going to get the positive outcome of staffing or the positive outcome of better service. You've got to take a deep dive into your process. Keep in mind that who does it start with, Drew? Let's see. Choices, choices, me. It starts with you, gang. You are the leader. You are the catalyst. You are the one that's got to make sure that the team is driving down the field and making sure that your Domino's pizza team is delivering customer experiences that are world-class, second to none, and making customers coming back for more. So Sam, we started this with, we want to talk about staffing. And here we are, I don't even know, like it feels like five minutes. It's probably more like 30 minutes in. Gang, we're not going to give you some silver bullet. We're not going to, if you ask this question in an interview, you'll hire 900 people. If you make your Indeed ad look like this, you'll hire 16,000 people. No, start with you. If the last thing you said to someone was, I can't staff this store, if the last thing you said to someone was, no one wants to work here, start with you. Take a pause, look around, check your attitude. Start there. Because any other idea, process, plan that we could talk about, it's going to fail because you're not invested in it because you don't believe you can. Get to a place where I can find people, I can hire people, I can staff my store, people want to work for me because gosh darn it, I'm special. We can get to a place then where we can talk about process. So let's let's make the assumption that the folks that are listening to the podcast are going to take some of our advice. They're going to start to re- release their tension. They're going to start to set intention. They're going to do something that they talked about in Atomic Habits, and they're going to start to create their identity where I am a store that can be staffed and I am a leader people want to look for. So let's give them some process things that they can start to use. And gang, If you're not going to change your identity and you're not going to become the leader that they need to be, then skip ahead on the podcast because what we're about to talk about isn't going to help you. If you are somebody that's going to change your identity, if you are somebody that's going to start to be constantly centered on a positive outcome and saying that it's going to get better because it's going to and failure is not an option for you, then listen to a couple of these tips we've got. And I'll kick it off. I think it's imperative that you are paying attention to the applicants and that you are getting back to them as quickly as humanly possible. And I think that the best way to get back to them, and one of our listeners, Nick Birch, sent us in, this is something that they do religiously, is he typically texts them first. 
That's how folks in today's world like to communicate best. I was always a big fan of talking to them because I wanted to hear them over the phone. But what I've come to the realization of after screening over 200 applicants in the last 30 days is that texting is the way you're going to get to them first. And if they applied at 1030 at night and you saw that because you've got whatever platform you're using for your applications, sending you notifications when they come in, then text them right then. Don't think to yourself, oh, it's 1030. It's too late. They just filled out the application. The sooner you get to them, the better chance you have of getting a face-to-face conversation and then making an actual selection decision. Drew, what do you got? I got to be honest, Sam. In today's age of my car warranty is expiring and DirecTV would like me to put six satellites on my house because I think I get like four calls like that every day. Even if I had applied somewhere, I don't know if I'd answer the phone because everything looks like it's a warranty call. So I'm a huge fan of just text it. Hey, can we talk in 15 minutes? Can we, do you have time to call to talk right now? Absolutely. Let's go. Text away. As Drew was so kind to mention earlier in the podcast, I'm getting a little long in the tooth. So, you know, I'm a little old fashioned and I found that I've got to change my ways if I want to get people in. I've got to make sure that I'm doing the things I need to do to connect with today's workforce. And it doesn't matter what I think is important. It doesn't matter what I think is the best way of communication. It matters what my candidates think is the best way of communication because I need them more than they need me. I'm going to say that one more time because it's very important. You need them far more than they need you. So you've got to adapt to their desires and their way to communicate. I used to say all the time, if I have to chase a candidate, then I'm not interested because they're probably not going to come to work. I've changed my tune 180 degrees. I will chase and chase and chase and chase to get a face-to-face interview. And then I will make a decision based on whatever is going on during the interview. But when it comes to making that initial point of contact, I call, I text, I email, and I'll do that until they tell me I'm not interested. I will be that guy that's calling to see if you'd like to extend your car warranty if you applied to me. I'm going to chase and chase and chase. That doesn't mean I'm going to hire everybody that I catch. That's absolutely not going to happen. You're going to get an interview with me face to face. It's going to last 20 to 30 minutes. And I'm going to make a determination on that interview, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to that interview. That's awesome, Sam. Speaking of interviews, my piece for the team would be hire the smile and train the skill. Folks are nervous, man. I'm sure all of you have interviewed somebody who it's their first job. They're nervous. They don't know what to expect. However, if you can have a conversation with them, you can get that smile from them. You'll know what kind of employee they are. And let's be honest. How they are in the interview, nervous or not, that's the best. That's the best. They have an open mind. At that moment, they kind of still want to work with you Mm -hmm. and for you. Hire the smile, man. Ask the questions. Have a little bit of small talk where you can actually allow them to get a little comfortable. Hire the smile. I don't need to know what your background was as far as how many pizzas you delivered at a competitor. I need to know what brings you joy. What brings you joy? I want to see a person light up and smile. Yeah. When I'm interviewing CSRs, I like to ask them to say, welcome to Domino's. And if they don't say it in a way that is warm and welcoming, I'll look at them and go, hey, would you like to try that again? Pretend like you're glad that I'm walking through the door. And if they're able to do it, then the interview continues. If they're not able to do it, 
then the interview is over. You know, hire the smile, train the skills is so important because you can't train them to be happy. You can't train them to smile. You can't train them to be nice. I can train just about anybody that has a willingness to learn how to navigate pulse and take an order. I can train just about anybody that has a willingness to learn how to make a pizza that will meet the five elements of a great pizza, rim size, portion, placement, and bake. I can't train them to be nice. If somebody has figured out how to train people to be nice, I'll hire you now on the spot. Let's see, Sam. We talked about having the right attitude. And then we talked about chasing them down. Don't give them 10 seconds after the application is in. We've shown them hire the smile, train the skill. I guess the last thing I've got, Sam, would be have a structured first day. Have a structured first day. I'm a huge fan of doing stuff like write the name on the chalk wall. Welcome to Domino's, Sam. I'm a huge fan of telling the entire team before the person shows up, new team member working. And how cool would it be if, if that new team member shows up and you know somebody says, welcome to Domino's. And their answer is, I'm, I'm here. It's my first day. And everybody's like, oh, it's you, Sam. Welcome in. Come on in. Let's go. Instead of, wait, what? You're, you're, you're who? Oh, hold on a second. And then they sit in the lobby for 15 minutes. Let's make that first moment, that first day structured and special. What makes me really sad that we have to talk about this because I know that you've seen it as many times as I have inside a store where somebody comes in, they've already got maybe some anxiety about starting a new job. They may have some trepidation about, did they choose the right place? And we don't set the tone from the beginning that they did and that we're glad that they're there. No, we're actually surprised that they're there. Yeah. You know, I I had the pleasure of onboarding four new team members while I was in Centralia over the past couple of weeks. You know, I've got some luxuries as a consultant that general managers don't have. I wasn't in charge of production. And I get that. And I understand that. But, you know, I met these folks at the door. I knew what time they were going to be there. And I was there with a new uniform in my hand. First thing we did was a store tour. And every time we walked by a team member, I made sure to call the team member by name and introduce them to the new team member by name. And it was a two-second interaction, but I think it really helped them feel like they were part of the team from the beginning. And then I think to build on what Drew said about that structured first day, which, you know, I can't agree more. It is so important to have some structure to that first day. I think it's important if you were the person that hired them or you're one of the leaders of the store that you check in with them. And it's not an inquisition. It's not a, where were you Saturday night at 6 p.m. type of interview. It's simply a conversation. You know, you walk up to your new team member and say, hey, how's it going? Are you enjoying the job so far? Are you glad you chose us? Because we're sure glad you did. Are you happy you're here? What have you learned? What do you want to learn? What are you looking forward to learning next? It's just a conversation to pick their brain about the things they like and the things they don't like. And Third or fourth day, this is my favorite question for new team members. Hey, so you're near, you're new here now. You've learned some stuff. You're starting to fit in really well. Really love having you here. Hey, if you were king for a day or if you were queen for a day, what thing would you change about our onboarding process? And it lets them tell you as someone that was recently onboarded what they didn't like. And it gives you the opportunity to collect important data so that you can onboard the next person even better. And if you ask that question all the time, I promise you, 
months from now, your onboarding process will be so much better than it is now. And some of you listening right now, I'll bet your onboarding process is pretty darn good. What if it was better? It could get better. And wouldn't you like to hear from people that were recently onboarded how they would make it better? They've got better insight than you do because they are getting the onboarding. I love that, Sam. Interviewing and talking to people is a great way to make process improvement. You know, we're talking about this outcome of staffing and people saying, I can't staff and I can't do this and I can't do that. My guess is that the people that are doing that have had somebody recently quit. Are you doing exit interviews? Are you talking to the folks and asking them honest questions without judging them and without telling them why they're wrong? You're just taking the answers and you're just taking it. You're taking whatever it is they have to say with a smile on your face and you're taking notes. And a thank you. And, and a thank you. So important. Thanks for adding that, Drew. Some of the things they say are going to make you angry and that's okay. That's your emotion. But put that filter in there and don't let it come out onto your face because you want to get as much as you can from them so that you can decide, are there things in your leadership style? Are there things in your store that you need to change if you're going to increase retention? Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And if you want to be effective, then you've got to get as much data as you can from people that are leaving you so that you can understand why they're leaving and see if there's things you can change so that you can get a better outcome of staffing because your process is better. I love exit interviews. As I've been going around, Sam, the last couple of weeks, I've heard a lot about people leaving because they're moving away. I got to be honest with you. Probably for every 10 people I tell you, I'm moving away. Nine of them. Just don't have the intestinal fortitude to look you in the eye and say, I have to quit you. Yeah, they're moving away from you, not moving away from the town. Do an exit interview. Yep. Got to do an exit interview. If you and your team are having a hard time with it, that folks aren't picking up, folks aren't answering, swap stores. Do the exit interview for the next door. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have probably eclipsed our normal time for We've Talked training because staffing that outcome is so important to us, so important to the stores and the processes are just so key to getting that positive outcome. I think that's enough for this episode. What do you think? Yeah, I think, Sam, that once we actually look at this, we probably have enough for three episodes. Yeah, I think we probably do. Or maybe some online content that people could get more nuts and bolts. Uh, We could probably do that too. Yeah, I, I like that idea. So let's take a break and hear from, gosh, I don't know, maybe... Drew and Sam talk training. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right. Welcome back. Burgess, what do you got to say? Books. Books. All the books I'll need. All the books. All the books I'll ever want. A fabulous listener let us know that we don't actually review books, Sam. Yeah, that fabulous listener is probably the most fabulous listener, at least in my rating system. And uh, 
what she said was, we're not reviewing the books. We're kind of just telling you about what we're reading. So what we're reading uh, for this episode was a book called Helping. It's by Edgar H. Sheen. It's all about, believe it or not, Helping. All right. So, Drew, what uh, what'd you get from helping? Well, Sam, I got to be honest. The first chapter when the author goes and says something like, I'm not writing this as a manual. I'm writing this more as a treatise on helping. I was like, oh, no, what have we done to ourselves? That said, I'm going to use DISC and explain to our fabulous listeners a little bit about DISC. For those of you that don't know DISC, it's a personality assessment. There's four quadrants. You're someone who is driven or result-oriented, that's the D. You're someone who's an I, influential, you're social, you like social interaction. You're an S, you are supportive. You, you generally say things like wherever you wanna go or how can I help? Or you're a C and, and you're about compliance, you're about being right. I gotta be honest, Sam, with this book, if you're an I or an S, someone who asks a lot of questions of people, someone who uses phrases like, how can I help? This book's probably not going to help you a whole lot because you do most of what's in the book already. But if you're that driven person, if you're results oriented, if it's all about being number one, or you start most sentences with, I know I'm right. uh, Congratulations. This book is for you. It will absolutely give you the processes and tools to help people because believe it or not, you are helping people all the time. I think that's a great way to sum up the book in in what you and I do as far as performance coaching and what I've tried to develop as a strong skill for myself. I didn't find a whole lot of help with the book because it's stuff that I really tried to work on at a younger age. If I could travel in a time machine back to visit 18-year-old Sam, I would I would have this book with me. And I would say, you got to read this book. Exactly as Drew said, if you're somebody that is always right, has to be the smartest person in the room, then you probably ought to read this book because it goes into great depth about what kind of help. There's different kinds of help. There's different ways to approach it. For me, it was a hard read because it was stuff I knew. I felt like it was something that I could sum up pretty well in in 10 minutes. But as as Drew and I talked about it before we started recording, I think it both struck us that way because these are skills that both of us really, really value and, and have worked really, really hard to make sure that we're good at, or at least try to be good at. So Sam, where's this book going for you? In the backpack, on the nightstand, collecting dust, on the bookshelf, holding up a table, in the fire pit to start a fire. Like, I'm just going to add stuff now. (laughs) Well, this one is going to be collecting dust on the bookshelf for me. I don't see it as something that I'm going to be handing out to everyone because not everyone is going to see value from it. But I want to keep it on the bookshelf so that if I come across a leader that's early on in their journey to becoming who they want to become, or even if they're far along in their journey and they're struggling with how to provide performance coaching or help when people need it and not come off as a know-it-all or a bully, then I think this book would be really valuable for them. So I'm going to keep it around and have it for those folks that I think it would be particularly useful for, but I'm not going to be going through it and developing any classes around it. And I'm certainly not going to pick it up for pleasure reading anytime soon. How about you? 
I'm in the same spot. It's going on the bookshelf. In fact, it's already on the bookshelf. We're in the same mindset here. So one more time, team, if your first thought is I need to be number one, or I like to be right, I need to be right. This book is for you. If you're a person that wants to know what other folks are doing for dinner, or if you say something like, I don't care where we go out to eat, you pick, you already got this book. Move on. All right, let's jump into my favorite segment. Hey, Liam, tell us about your particular set of skills. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Sam, my taken is uh, a pretty easy one. I saw it in Tristan Kohler's stores actually two days ago. And it's a QR code for an employee survey. Whoa, whoa. I know, crazy talk. Nice, I like it. Listen, SurveyMonkey or Microsoft Forms, there's a bunch of free stuff out there. Doesn't need to be terribly long. In this case, the survey's five questions long. One for each job code. So the piece of paper had four QR codes on it. There's a free website that you can make QR codes. Literally, you can do an employee survey for your team and they do it quarterly in the organization. But if your franchisee doesn't, you can do it in your own store and it'll take you 10 minutes. It'll be free. It'll cost you one piece of paper and maybe you can get some actual feedback from your team. So QR code employee surveys, huge fan. I like it. That could be part of their process to get that desired outcome of staffing. That's a great take in. Yes. Huge fan of everything you just said. My take in is kind of centers around that whole outcome of staffing as well. And I think it's something that will help your retention if you start teaching your team members this. We had a young man that gave his two week notice in Centralia and ended up no call, no showing on the very last day. Day, which to me is just just crazy. You give a two week notice and then you do a no call, no show on the last day. The very next day, we get a letter from the DOD and they're looking for a reference on this young man. And based on the no call, no show the day before, certainly we could have written that and that would have completely changed the outcome of whether or not this young man was going to get in the service. We decided to take the high road as great leaders do. And we looked at his complete time at the job and what he'd done and realized that he'd been a good team member. And we decided to go that route. But had we decided to go the other route, which we were certainly well within our right to do, that could have changed the outcome of what this young man wanted to do. So folks, I would have all of your team members listen to the next two minutes or the next one minute or however long it takes me to get through this. Listen, Domino's Pizza is a great opportunity. It's not for everybody and that's okay. Whatever your great opportunity is, you're writing your story right now. And you're choosing to come to work on time or not on time is defining what that story is going to be. So if your dream job is not Domino's Pizza and make no mistake about it, that's okay. Put yourself in a position to be chosen for your dream job because the story you've written previously to that opportunity is a fantastic story to tell. How great would it be if somebody called for a reference on you and we couldn't say nice enough things because you always were on time. You always went to the position chart and found out what your primary responsibility was and did it. So my take in Drew is more of a lesson than something that was actually being done. And that lesson is you're writing your story, team. Write it great. If Domino's Pizza isn't in the cards long term for you, that's okay. Find out what it is you want to do. But when it comes time to tell your story, make sure it's a good one. Nice. And you know, Sam, I think with that, I think we should move on to the next ad 
from our fabulous sponsors. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. Always good to hear from uh, Drew and Sam and everything about their mini con. I don't know about you, Drew, but I'm looking forward to that mini con. Only $49, three separate breakouts to choose from. People are already lining up. We've got some people have already paid and registered. Do what you got to do to pull two hours away from your time to get some more learning. We'll get more in depth on those three subjects. It's going to be great. I agree. I can't wait. It'll be fun. Plus, we get to see folks because, you know, that whole like webinar kind of thing. So it'd be nice. Yeah, very cool. So we're into the portion of our podcast where we do an interview. And we were so fortunate to get Don May. He is international master franchisee, almost 2000 stores. And we thought, hey, let's come back across the pond and let's let's talk to somebody with some domestic experience. We reached out to former CEO and current chairman of the board, Dave Brandon, and he was nice enough to spend nearly 80 minutes with us. So once again, we're going to split that interview up into two parts and we're going to kick that interview off right now with some fun stuff. In part two, we're going to get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of, of his time at Domino's. So we hope you enjoy this this interview. Hi Dave, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. I'd like to start with a question that requires a little bit of setup. For our listeners, the Domino's World Resource Center puts out dozens of Christmas trees each year. Most are very different and very cool looking. My first year working in the building, about 07, I brought my kids in to see, to see a bunch of them and have lunch. And of course, the nicest of the trees were in at the CEO lobby, which was your lobby at the time. Your assistant, Di, lets my kids in and tells us to be quiet because you're working and it takes about 60 seconds and you come out and start talking with my kids. And of course you ask, what do you want for Christmas? My then seven, six and five-year-olds almost completely together say, puppy. You Dave, look at me and ask, well then dad, buy them a puppy. So Dave, my question for you is, are you still a serial puppy pusher? <laughs> uh, well, I must admit, I don't remember that, but I'm not surprised I pulled that on you. <laughs> Um, and the truth of the matter is, is I have never had a puppy <laughs> in my adult life. So I, I was going to vicariously enjoy pet ownership through you. I appreciate that opportunity. I want you to know that many other times in my career, I didn't listen to you and did not buy my kids a puppy. <laughs> wow. That just shows your impeccable judgment. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Wow, that's great. Dave, I'll start off with a real uh, softball as well. Through a mutual friend, we were able to make this meeting happen. You may know him as Tof or Chris, 
uh, your son, who uh, he and Nubs do a little podcast called Two Twins in an Album. You were featured on the Barry Manilow episode. And as it turns out, you and I both have a... Uh, affinity for Barry Manilow. We are fanalos, as they say. And uh, that uh, that's that struck me. So you're a fanalow. Yeah, I, I was actually out when, early in my career. I worked for Procter & Gamble and they had me headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I we used to spend a lot of time on the West Coast and back. I mean, we're talking back in the 70s. I was on the West Coast and happened to go to the Greek theater when Barry Manilow was performing and this was very early in his career. He was kind of a sensation at that point. And I, I didn't really know who he was and I was introduced to him and he put on a great show. And so several years later, when the boys were real interested in music and we were going to a lot of concerts, I took them to a Barry Manilow concert and they liked it too. They enjoyed it. So the boys are much more uh, musically inclined than I am. I taught Nick, how to play the drums a little bit. And then within a couple of years, he was like five times better than me. And Chris, Chris has played and sung in a, in a group for a long time. They're very musical and they enjoy it. So as far as the drums go, the story I heard on their podcast was you went out and you bought a drum kit, had it in the basement and uh, Nick pretty much stole it immediately. <laughs> well, I actually remember him sitting on my knee because he couldn't reach the pedals. Nice. And showing him how to hold the sticks and, you know, trying to give him some sense of how this drum kit worked, thinking I was a big deal drummer. And it just didn't take very long for him to become much better than me, which kind of hurts. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So that, you know, that kind of connected the dots for me. You may remember at a worldwide rally at one of the general sessions, the opening was you came out playing the drums. And I'm like, Holy crap. Is there anything this guy can't do as I'm sitting? You know, I think I was sitting right next to Jan in, in the audience and, and, and there's Dave behind the drums playing at the worldwide rally. It was pretty incredible. Well, I used to love to, you know, screw around and make, come up with ways to make those rally sessions fun and interesting and try to surprise people. So between dressing up as Elvis and, playing the drums and all, all the crazy stuff we did. It was really intended to just create energy and have fun. And, you know, the topics were always serious, but we tried to wrap it with kind of the Vegas, uh, you know, have fun uh, attitude. And hopefully most of the time we, you know, we made that happen. I was really nervous about playing the drums because I hadn't played the drums in years. And all of a sudden I had this guy's huge drum kit that was the drummer of the band that we that we hired to use for the rally. And, and I remember hoping I just didn't like drop a stick or something. <laughs> well, from what I remember, you knocked it out of the park, my friend. Well, I faked it pretty well. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's Sam and my motto, fake it till you make it. And interestingly, our podcast, uh, we, we try to approach it the same way. We, uh, <laughs> we have a little bit of fun and then there's some serious in the middle. Yeah, good. Sam and I joke about being giddy over talking with folks like you and Don May. Is there somebody that you've met that you were just in awe of like, oh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm talking with so-and-so through all of your travels? You know, I've been really blessed to have, you know, have an opportunity to meet a lot of really pretty amazing folks. You know, I've been able to visit with presidents. I've been able to visit with some titans of industry, right? People who have run companies that, you know, are a hundred times larger than 
dominoes. You know, I got to spend time with Jack Welch when he was doing amazing things at General Electric. My observation is they're all just very normal people. In many cases, they're all very ordinary people who accomplish extraordinary things. And so I, I don't know that I've ever had that bigger than life experience where I've met somebody and and it's rocked my world because I think they're so uniquely different than everybody else. I just really have enjoyed the opportunity throughout my career to work with, partner with, work for people who are very accomplished and very smart and very driven and very goal oriented. And that for me is the real kick. It's, it's not, it's not getting somebody's autograph. It's not hobnobbing with rich and famous. It's really getting a chance to learn from and observe oftentimes very ordinary people who are able to accomplish very extraordinary things. And that's what I enjoy. Nothing nor no individual person comes to mind that I would say, you know, boy, that was one of the highlights of my life, meeting that person. Hundreds of people that I've had a chance to learn from and, and interact with that have added value to me in ways that are, are special. I, I got to admit, though, I, I like how you name drop, you know, just a couple presidents, a couple titans in industry, <laughs> some Jack Welsh guy. That was kind of nice. I got a chance to spend a little time with President Reagan. And there's a great example. I mean, he was an actor, you know, he, he got fired a couple of times. He's, you know, he it's not like God blessed him with things that he didn't bless other people. He just was one of the most charming, funny, pleasant. And, and he had, you know, he had this kind of intrinsic ability to, to identify the things that he thought were most important and stay very focused on those things. You can almost give a Ronald Reagan speech about, you know, we need the line item veto and we need smaller government. I mean, he had those five or six things that he just believed strongly in. And you weren't going to leave a discussion with him about without knowing exactly how he felt and what he believed should happen. And that was really his magic as a leader. So again, it's, you know, yeah, president of the United States and, you know, it's a little imposing, but then when you kind of look below the surface, you just say, boy, you could learn a lot from this guy in terms of how he got to become president and why he was effective in so many ways. That's a great story. You know, I had a similar experience with someone that I think probably shaped a very young Dave Brandon. Had the opportunity in 1991 to go to the Rose Bowl with Jeff Schembechler, the franchisee I was working with. And after the game, he said, do you want to go meet dad? Now, I grew up in Ann Arbor. And for those listeners that don't know the Schembechler name, first of all, shame on you. But Dave, you spent a little time with Mr. Bo Schembechler. I would think that he was pretty informative and teaching and probably left an impression. Yeah, Bo recruited me and I played on, you know, for four years at Michigan when Bo was the head coach. And Later on, Bo and I became really good friends. He was very supportive. He helped me in my election campaign to become a regent at the University of Michigan. He, he did a lot of things for me that lasted years and years beyond the time that I was one of his student athletes. And in fact, I had a three and a half hour dinner with, with Bo the night before he died. Oh, wow. Which wow. was both special and kind of sad because frankly, I knew he was just in really, really poor health. Of course, you never, you never think for a minute that, you know, suddenly he's going to be gone. 
but there are mo- more bow stories than you could ever imagine. He's a, you know, he's a legend, but, it, but it's another great example. I mean, Bo, <laughs> Bo is a legend at Michigan and his record uh, is legendary, but at his core, you know, he was just a normal guy. You know, when he recruited me, I was, I was a senior at South Lyon high school and it was time for my recruiting visit. And it was his, he had just completed his first year at Michigan. And many people don't remember at the end of his first season, they won the championship. They went out to the Rose bowl and he had a heart attack the day before the game. So the game got played and one of the assistant coaches took over the head coaching job because Bo was literally in a hospital in California being treated for this heart attack that he had. So they got him back to Ann Arbor. Now we're in like early February and it's time for my recruiting visit to meet Bo. So in my case, South Line was 10 miles away. So I drove over to, to Ann Arbor and they, you know, they put me up in a jazzy hotel and, uh, and, you know, did all the stuff. Well, it finally became time to meet Bo. Well, Bo was still recovering from the heart attack. So they drove me to his home. So I go up to the front porch and his wife, Millie, answers the door, invites me in. I'm sure they had done this a thousand times with other recruits, but it's now it's my turn. So she proceeds to take me upstairs to their bedroom where Bo's laying in the bed with his pajamas and a robe on. And that's how this recruiting visit's going to happen. So I'm standing, <laughs> I'm standing at the foot of his bed and Bo in his inimitable style kind of shifts into his, you know, I've seen the film on you. Uh, yeah, you can throw the ball and kick the ball. And yeah, it's pretty impressive. And you got all these statistics, but you know, my only concern is whether you're tough enough to play at the University of Michigan. And I'm, I'm worried about your toughness. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about whether you think you're tough enough to play football at the level we play football at the University of Michigan. So you got to understand he's, you know, he's barking at me doing what Bo does. Now, there's a part of me that's standing at the foot of the bed saying, let me get this straight. You're laying there in your pajamas <laughs> telling me that you're worried about whether I'm tough enough. But I didn't say that as everybody who's a bit intimidated by him, particularly when you're 18 years old or 17 or whatever I was at the time, I did my well, sir, (laughs) um, and did my best to sell him that I thought I was plenty tough enough to play on his football team. And at the end of me bumbling through that, he offered me my scholarship for four years to play for him at, at UM. So it was one of those memorable days and experiences, but it was classic Bo. Only Bo Schembecker would be laying in his pajamas, accusing me of not being tough enough. That was Bo. That's a great story. Dave, since you heard a couple of the episodes of our podcast, you know, we also review books. Is there something you're reading right now or a top three books you would suggest? Listen, there are a bunch of books I've read over the course of my career that I, I think have made an impact. But you know what? In the in the zoom world that we've been operating in for the last 14 months and in the, the pace of kind of way my life's worked over the last few years, one of the, you know, sadly, one of the things that's really become a victim of all that is my ability to just sit and enjoy and read a book. I'm on this computer all the time. That's where I get my information. That's where we have these meetings. 
And, and I'm not particularly proud of that, but you know what? I wish I, I wish my lifestyle right now was such that I felt like I could sit and read <laughs> one of these many books that are lined up. I just got one yesterday, but my life doesn't work that way. So I don't have like a really relevant book, like the, you know, the book of the month or the book of the year uh, that I would recommend to people. I just don't. But you got them when the time comes. Exactly. I have lots of books for sure. I just don't have anyone that's like, you know, a fresh read that I would say, boy, I would really recommend this book for for folks. I wish I did. What, what's keeping you up at night these days? Well, I'm on five corporate boards, three public companies and two private companies. And I'm working with the private equity firm KKR. I'm, I'm what's called an executive advisor. I work with their deal teams. And so we're working concurrently on three or four different transactions that may or may not happen. It's all part of the due diligence journey. Also, I'm a member of the Board of Governors of the American Red Cross in Washington. So there's a dozen of us who, who sit on that Board of Governors and we basically are fiduciaries and oversee the activities of the American Red Cross. And in some cases, that is more time consuming than some of my corporate board activities because it's a big organization between disaster relief and all the blood work that we do, you know, blood collection and distribution. Uh, humanitarian services. It's a big multi-billion dollar operation with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of volunteers and team members who make the Red Cross go. So between that kind of my not-for-profit world and my five corporate boards and the work I do with KKR and, you know, sprinkle in, you know, eight grandkids and three homes and uh, you know, all the stuff that I, you know, I got myself mixed up in. I'm just, I, I feel like I'm as busy now as I've ever been. And I would say that from my perspective, the last 12 months, last 14 months has been the toughest operating environment, probably in history, at least modern history for corporations and companies. Now I haven't been a CEO during this environment, but because I'm on a lot of governing boards and work closely with CEOs, I can tell you that the challenges of navigating not just COVID, which is horrible, uh, and this notion of virtual working, which has its limitations and issues. But, you know, you combine that with all the social issues, the divisiveness in the nation, the, you know, the, the challenging you know, social issues, regulatory issues, uh, uncertainty associated with pandemics, as well as political challenges and struggles. I just can't think of a time where it's been any tougher for CEOs and leaders in corporate of corporations to navigate and, and keeping in mind what's important relative to their team members, their team members, families, their customers, their vendor partners. It's been a very, very intense. That's why I'm not reading any books. It's <laughs> been a very intense, difficult, challenging time. And I have great compassion for leaders in today's world who, particularly in the public company arena, where there's so much scrutiny and so much visibility into how you're navigating through all this. 
is hard. And I hope we get to the other end of it. I hope we get to a point where things open up again. Kids are all back in school. Families are comfortable resuming something that's more normal, getting team members back in rooms, feeding off of one another, learning from one another, uh, developing easier, better relationships, because at least there's some physical proximity to, to your, your coworkers. I long for the days we get back to something closer to where we were than where we've been over the last 14 months. And maybe as part of that, you know, the headlines can simmer down a little bit in terms of all the, the stress and struggle and strife that our country's going through concurrent with all that. Yeah, don't we all look for more normal, easier times? Amen. Amen. You know, Sam, it's nice that these folks want to spend this much time with us that we can split it into two parts. I'm really glad to now know that Dave isn't a serial puppy pusher either. So with that, that's the end of the first part of the interview. The next one, we'll get into some of the more in-depth and a little bit harder questions for Dave too. I think the part two will be just as much fun, Sam. How about you? Yeah, I think it'll be great. Dave was as gracious with his time as Don was with his time. And I know, Drew, I speak for you when I say this. We are just both so grateful to be able to bring our listeners some really great guests uh, and make the podcast hopefully something of value. And Sam, I just want to end with a little tease for an episode somewhere down the line, because when Dave Brandon is emailing us and he says he's now done being a talent manager for us, let's just say it's really nice to not only have him give us time to talk to us, but then help us line up another guest or two. Yeah, that was a really nice email to receive. So Dave, if you're listening, our sincere thanks to you again. Really amazing the time you spent with us and the fact that you helped us line up our next guest. With that said, let's take our last break. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. Hey, Willie, what's going on? On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is made. So Sam, I understand you're on the road again. I am on the road again, and uh, I just can't wait to get on the road again. I'm heading down to Dayton to see some of the same folks that you spent some time with. We're going to do the train the trainer down there. Give those folks the T3 experience. Got a couple of guys coming from Brian Edler's organization. Got some guys from the TKE organization, and I'm still uh, hounding Anthony Satterwhite. So hopefully by the time he hears this, uh, his guys have been trained as well. Wait, 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 wait. Are you gonna are you gonna do that in Tristan's fabulous training room? Yeah, is that training room something special or what? I mean, I, I kind of want to like like put a sign outside that says you're now entering the Taj Mahal of training rooms. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing and. Um, that is, uh, if you ask Tristan about that training room, he'll say that's all Uncle Ed. Uh, so his partner, Ed Schlater, was the brainchild behind 
pulling all of that off. So that's that's amazing. And then I head up to Minneapolis, spend some time with the Honey Badgers, going to do the T3 experience up there again with their group. So getting a lot of folks to get more comfortable with their stand-up training, give them the confidence they need, along with some competence so that they can start delivering great training experiences to their team. How about you, Drew? Where's uh, where's the road heading you? Let's see. Sunday, I hop on a plane. I'm heading out to Virginia again. I'm going to help uh, Kenny Cobb and his supervisors find ways to be more effective and more efficient. Uh, once I come back from that, I'm actually off the road for a couple days. My son has his last drama show, so I get to stay home to see him perform on stage. And it also fabulously gives me a chance to line up some more online content. I have a partner helping me build some fabulous online curriculum so I can actually get down to that because it's really hard to uh, build curriculum while you're actually standing in front of a class teaching it. Yeah, we've been fortunate to have a lot of time in front of classes and that's kind of put us behind on our goal of getting some online curriculum. And it is nice to have some time at home here in the beautiful big city of Dexter. And I'll be looking forward to seeing what you put up there and I'll be getting some up as well. Hey, uh, speaking of planes and jumping on them and jumping in them, I think it's time to land this plane. What do you think? I think I'm a huge fan of that. This episode, it, I mean, Sam, let's let the listeners see behind the curtain for a second. Uh, we edit this episode because occasionally we're not smart. I have no idea how long this episode is going to be once you're listening to it, but I can tell you it's going to be a long episode. So, yes. I should stop delaying and we should end this. You're circling, not landing, my friend. So uh, thanks for listening and look forward to part two of the Dave Brandon interview. We'll take a look at another book, which uh, truth be told and a look behind the curtain we haven't chosen yet, but we'll do that shortly. Thanks for listening. As always, please subscribe, tell your friends, share the posts on Facebook. We'd love to get more listeners and more subscribers. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. And as always, Sell more pizza. And have more fun. I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. And I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And this has been an episode of Drew and Sam Talk Training. 